Happy Mother's Day. Moms, I hope that this day is special for you. I hope that you uh, feel valued and appreciated and you know just how much uh, you are loved. This is your day and I hope that you're encouraged this morning as we look into uh, God's Word together. When I was probably uh, six or seven years old, my dad had this big hunting knife that I thought was just the coolest thing ever. He'd keep it in his sock drawer in his room and He'd get it out every once in a while and show me how to open it, how to close it, how to use a knife properly. And I was uh, forbidden from ever touching this thing without him being around. And uh, one day, the temptation to play with this knife was a little too great. And dad wasn't home and mom was downstairs cooking dinner. And so I snuck into the room and I got out his knife and I opened the blade and I, I played around with it. <clears throat> and when it was time to close it up, I was, I was pressing on the button to fold the blade over and I couldn't do it pressing on this thing and pressing on this thing, and it slipped, and it sliced my index finger. I still, to this day, have a little scar on my finger, and uh, I knew that I was going to be in huge trouble. I had to go downstairs and fess up to my mom, and even though I got in huge trouble for that, I was proud of myself for having this scar. Uh, If there was one thing that I thought was cooler than my dad's knife, it was having a scar. I don't know if that was uh, unique to just me, or if all little boys think scars are kind of cool, but for me, it was just this this badge of manliness to have this permanent scar on my body. Now, I bet this morning, if we started showing off the different scars that we have on our bodies, I bet there'd be some pretty interesting stories behind those. Uh, of course, besides the physical scars that we all have, we have other kind of scars as well, don't we? We have uh, uh, emotional scars that we carry around that, that nobody can see. Uh, maybe people don't even know about them. But these, of course, are scars that we have, uh, have accrued from painful things that we've experienced in this life, things that have hurt us and affected us. And the scars in your life that people can't see usually hurt way more than the scars on your body that people can see. As a matter of fact, I bet that we would all trade emotional scars for physical scars, wouldn't we? I mean, given the choice, we would probably take a big old scar at our knee if it meant that we didn't have to have the emotional scar from that relationship that's fractured or didn't work out. We'd probably be willing to take a big scar on our arm if it meant that we could lose the emotional scar that the death of that loved one has left us. Every one of us has scars. Moms, you have scars as well. You know what it's like to go through painful things. Uh, Things that that have just come along in your life because you are a mom. Every one of us knows the reality of of trials and suffering. I want to talk this morning about that. I want to talk about uh, suffering and trials from God's Word. And we're going to go to Revelation chapter 2 to do so. If you have a copy of God's Word this morning, why don't you head there with me? Revelation chapter 2. We are uh, three weeks into a sermon series called Jesus Speaks. And what we're doing is we're taking a look at some letters that were written a couple thousand years ago to seven different churches in uh, what would have been Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey. These letters are very unique in that they are are written uh, by Jesus Christ himself. Uh, The letters are from Jesus. They were penned by one of Jesus' followers, a man named John. And if you think that it would be impossible for Jesus to have uh, written letters after he rose from the dead and ascended back into heaven. Just remember the name of the book of the Bible that these letters are in, the book of Revelation. Jesus gave his disciple John a revelation. He revealed things to him. 
He specifically revealed what he wanted written in these letters. And so this morning, we're going to look at a letter that was written to the church in the ancient city of Smyrna. Not Smyrnoff, Smyrna. All right? And this was a church that knew about scars and suffering. And here's what we're going to see from this church. We're going to see that suffering produces either dependency or disillusionment. The suffering that you go through in your life can cause you to either turn toward God in dependency or away from God in disillusion. Maybe you've, maybe you've already found that to be true in your life. Maybe you've gone through certain things in, in life, and, and the only way that you made it through those things was because you turned to God and you depended on Him like no other time in your life. Or maybe just the opposite happened. Maybe you went through something so painful that it just it, it shook your confidence in the character and the nature and the goodness of God, and, and now when you think about God, you're, you're disillusioned. Well, my hope is that as we look at the the church in Smyrna, that we would learn to depend on God. Now, Smyrna was a very large city. It was about 250,000 people. It was a great trade city, so it was very wealthy and significant within the Roman Empire. We also know that it was a very religious city. There were many different temples and, and places of worship for all the different gods and deities that they worshipped. Toward the end of the first century, the, the bigwigs in the Roman Empire wanted to do something to unify the empire. And so what they did was they made the worship of Caesar mandatory. So what that meant was that once a year, any Roman citizen had to burn incense on uh, an altar for Caesar. And once you, were, uh, once you did that, you were given this certificate to guarantee that you had fulfilled your obligation for the year. Now that posed a very serious problem for the Christians in Smyrna. The Christians refused to make that sacrifice. And so because of that, they were the the recipients of just incredible suffering and persecution. It's been said that nowhere in the ancient world was it more difficult to be a Christian than in Smyrna. So suffering was a part of these people's lives. Suffering and trials and tribulation was not something that they heard about. It's something that they were living through. As a matter of fact, notice what it says here. Revelation chapter 2, look at verse 8. It says, to the angel of the church in Smyrna write. That's how every one of these letters starts off. These are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. Listen to what Jesus says. I know your afflictions. That word affliction literally means to be, to be pressed or crushed. And I was thinking about that this week, and I was trying to think of a way to illustrate it, and, and this is what I thought of. Um, that, that word, afflictions, that Jesus says, I know about, um, it, it's literally one of these. It's, it's, to be, it's to be pressed. It's to be crushed. This is exactly what was happening to the Christians in Smyrna. The, the Christian culture around them, because of their faith in Jesus, they were crushing them. They were afflicting them. And When they were pressed, they were afflicted, and they were crushed, what, what came out? Was it, was it disillusionment toward God? Or was it dependency toward God? Some of you are right here right now. Some of you know exactly what that's like to be afflicted. Whether it's, it's actually uh, persecution because of your stand for Jesus Christ, maybe at school, maybe at home, maybe you're, being, maybe you're being persecuted, or just because life is difficult and painful and you are going through a season right now of trials and suffering. Some of you you are not unacquainted with that. You know what, it, what it's like 
to be afflicted and crushed and pressed by the world. As we get into this this morning, I want to ask a few questions about suffering as a way to to frame our time together. So here's the first question. What is the purpose of suffering? What's the purpose of suffering? Uh, Is there a purpose to suffering? Or or is it something that just happens because the world is a really cruel place and and God can't do anything about it? Well, no. No, uh, the Bible teaches us, the Christian faith says that there are purposes to suffering. And here's, here's one of the purposes, to test our love. To test our love. Notice what Jesus goes on to say here in verse 10. He says, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. The devil will put some of you in prison. Some of you are like, really? Really? A a devil? I mean, come on, it's 2019. Well, yes. Yes, if there is a God, why couldn't there be a devil? Why couldn't there be a, a personification of evil? The Bible clearly teaches that we have an enemy. And he hates God and he hates us. And the truth is, uh, our enemy, Satan, is behind some of the suffering in our lives. But here's what I want you to notice. There are divinely imposed limits on just how far Satan can go in his efforts to destroy us. See what what the passage says? It says, some of you will suffer for ten days. Now, that that probably shouldn't be taken literally. It's probably not talking about ten actual days, but rather just a short period of time. So Jesus is saying, listen, you're going to suffer, but it's not going to last forever. I'm putting a limit on how long the enemy can do this. We need to understand that there is a difference between Satan testing someone and God testing someone. When when Satan tests you, he has your failure in view. I think about some of the the training that our military does. Think about like um, BUDS training, training to become a Navy SEAL, otherwise known as Hell Week. Uh, other, it's just, just the most intense, grueling test you could possibly take. In many ways, they have your failure in view. Now, not in a, in a sinister way, but they want to weed out everyone that isn't suited to become a Navy SEAL. The enemy of God is, com- uh, is committed to making God look suspect through trials and temptation. Our enemy wants us to believe that God isn't really good, that, that God can't really be trusted. He has your failure in view. When God tests us, though, He has our growth in view. See, in our modern culture, we've bought into this idea that if God really loved us, that He wouldn't allow us to go through painful things. But God, of course, says, listen, I want want to test your love for me. I want to see what's really in your heart. I want to see if you love me above all else. And so I'm going to allow some difficult times in your life to see what comes to to the surface. When, when this happens in your life, when you are pressed, when you are crushed and you are afflicted, what, what comes out? Is it disillusionment? Or is it dependency on God? Sometimes God allows these things to happen to test our love. So friends, is it possible that that's what is going on in your life right now? Could it be possible that God is allowing you to suffer to see where your ultimate affection lies? Could it be possible that God is allowing you to go through some some difficult times because He wants to purge you of your idols? He wants to get rid of those things in your life that you've elevated to the place where only He should be? Well, there's another purpose to suffering, and that is to make us strong. To make us strong. 
If, if God came to you and said, listen, here are the options. You can have a very comfortable, pain-free life, but you're going to have really shallow character. You're not going to be a very strong person. Uh, or um, you can have a very difficult life, one that's going to be full of suffering and trials, but your character is going to be super developed. You're going to be just the strongest person. I think if we were honest, we'd say, God, uh, I'll take the, the first option. I'll take the easy, carefree life, and I don't really care if I have shallow character or not. Listen, God has a different plan for us. Jesus' vision for us is that we would be victors or overcomers. And that's what he says here in verse 11. He says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. That's what Jesus wants for us, that we would have strong character, that we would learn to overcome, that we would be victorious. And that only happens through trials and testing and suffering. So, so what's an overcomer? What is somebody who's victorious? Well, it means that you have the type of character that you will not be overcome by the situation that you're in. And I went through that, that health scare last year, but I I pressed into the Lord, I trusted in God, and, and He got me through it. You're an overcomer. You're, you're victorious. I didn't enjoy that, that divorce that I went through. I didn't in, enjoy that relationship ending, but man, I, I pressed into God, I trusted in God, and He got me through it. You're an overcomer. You're somebody who is victorious. Now here's the thing. As you go through trials and suffering, man, you are going to feel so weak. You're going to feel like you can't go on, but, but the reality is you're actually getting stronger. You're, you're growing. You're developing. You're becoming victorious. It's the same way when it comes to, to trying to get in shape physically. Right? How many of you have been there? You're totally out of shape, and so you commit to start exercising, and man, you try to crank out 10 push-ups, and you can barely even do 10. You can hardly run around the block once. You feel completely exhausted and totally sapped of strength, but you do it three or four or five times and you notice it's not quite as difficult as it once was. What's happening? Even though you feel totally weak, you're getting stronger. See, here's a truth that, that we don't like to hear. God will oftentimes reduce our comfort in life to increase our strength. See, we think that God parents us like we parent our kids. Sometimes we, we are guilty of putting earthly perceptions of what a parent should be like on God. Because as a parent, what is one of your greatest concerns about your kids? You just want them to be comfortable, right? You, you don't want them to feel any kind of pain or discomfort, and so sometimes we shelter our kids. Or sometimes we do things for our kids that they should be doing for themselves. God the Father doesn't operate that way. God will allow us to go through pain to make us stronger, to turn us into overcomers. And, and I wonder how many of you this morning could attest to that. How many of you could say, man, I, I went through something a while back and I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. And when I was going through it, all I wanted was, was for it to be over. But I'll tell you what, on this side of it, I'm, I'm stronger. I'm stronger now than I once was. I found that to, to, to be true in my life. There is a purpose to our suffering. What you are going through, that, that affliction, that, that way that you are being crushed right now by life, it is not wasted. 
God does not waste pain in your life. Now here's the good news. We have promises from God during our suffering. So that's, that's the second question I want to ask. What are our promises in the midst of suffering? And here's one absolutely incredible promise. We can trust God right now. Okay, God offers you, he promises you, and he says, listen, I, I can be trusted right now through whatever it is you're going through. Look again at what he says in verse 10. He says, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Right now, in your present circumstances, do not be afraid. Did you know that that right there is actually the most common command given by God in all of Scripture? Do not be afraid. I think God must have just known something about us and our proclivity to be anxious and to fret, to be worried. And so over and over and over again and in the Bible, he says, don't be afraid. I've got this. I'll take care of this. I'm with you. Jesus is inviting us to trust him. And he's saying this to people who, because of their refusal to worship Caesar, had their homes pillaged and had their jobs taken from them and were thrown in prison and had their families taken from them. Jesus says to them, trust me and do not be afraid. You know why we can trust God right now in the midst of our suffering? Because Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. There are two phrases here that speak about Jesus' solidarity. And here's the two phrases. I know and I died. I know and I died. So look at what he says in verse 9. He says, I know your afflictions. Jesus says, I, I know about it. This, this is speaking here to Jesus' omniscience. He, he knows. And it's not like he's saying, you know, I, I read a book one time about suffering. Or I heard through the grapevine that you guys are suffering. No, he says, I'm there with you in your suffering. I am your companion through all of this. And then he says this in verse 8. He says, these are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. Jesus died. Jesus has solidarity with those who have lost everything because he lost everything. He has solidarity with those who are being persecuted because he's experienced it. He has been there, done that. The Bible says that Jesus is a man of sorrows who's acquainted with grief. You acquainted with grief this morning? Moms, do you know grief? Do you know sorrow? Listen, so does Jesus. He's been where you're at except for one difference. Jesus chose to be where you are. He didn't have to be. He chose it. And so what that means is that Jesus takes your suffering very, very personally. We have his companionship and his solidarity through our suffering and testing. We can trust him right now. A couple of months ago on uh, Wednesday nights at our Wednesday night prayer time, um, I did a little bit of a study through the, the Old Testament book of Jonah. And you know that story, right? Uh, Jonah disobeys God. He refuses to, to do what God has commanded him to do, to go to Nineveh and to preach to the Ninevites. And so Jonah uh, hops on this, this boat, and uh, he heads in the complete opposite direction. And you remember what happens. This, this huge storm comes. God allows this storm to come. And, of course, the sailors throw Jonah overboard, and uh, he gets swallowed by this, this big fish. And uh, after the study was done one night, um, Mrs. Corley 
uh, shared a really incredible story of uh, a storm that uh, she and Mr. Corley were in ages ago when they first went to the mission field. And I thought that it was just such an incredible story and so encouraging. I wanted to share it with you this morning. So we have a, a video of this. Take a look. Hello, my name is Doreen Corley. My husband and I are now living in Sumter, and we're going to the a church called Harmony. Recently, our pastor was uh, giving a new series, and he started the series on the book of Jonah. And immediately, I woke up, because my husband and I had been missionaries for 25 years in the country of Iran, and uh, on our first ship trip out, we had a, an adventure that was almost, almost like Jonah's. I relate to Jonah when I hear the story. We were not running away from what God wanted us to do. We were trying to get to. Uh, he called us to the country of Iran. And so uh, after some months of gathering support and saying goodbye to our folks, we left the country of America. We got on a ship in New York and um, uh, Dick and I and our three and a half year old son, it was a Dutch freighter uh, with a Dutch captain. I'd never seen the ocean before, of course, so my eyes were all agog. And uh, I had never, never been on a ship before. And so we uh, took off, it was about uh, afternoon, and we had our supper. And <clears throat> the, the next thing uh, we know, we went in our little stateroom. We passed by the Statue of Liberty. I had never seen her. And I looked long and hard and said, oh, it's going to be five years before I see her again. Uh, Lord, help us as we go. Sometime during the night, a storm did arise, a big storm. Uh, first thing we noticed was that the ship was beginning to rock back and forth, back and forth, and I was beginning to wonder if my supper was gonna stay down. Couldn't find my Dramamine, of course, they're never there when you really want them. And so anyway, uh, during, during the night, uh, the storm got more fierce. <clears throat> our son Tim, our son Steve, excuse me, had taken with him to play with on the 14-day trip across the Atlantic a box of Tinker Toys. And they were in a little long box, almost like Pringles are today, and the lid came off. And so we had uh, Tinker Toys rolling from one side of the room to the other side of the room all night. Very, very fearful. Never had I been afraid like that before. And uh, I said, Lord, maybe we made a mistake. What are we doing out here in the middle of the Atlantic in a hurricane? And uh, so the, the days went on. It was three days. Three days we were in that storm. And the only food that we got was they would come to our door, rap on the door, and when you opened the door, there was a thing of tea and bread or cookies or something. Uh, but we had no, no cooked meals. Everybody was hanging on for dear life, I guess. Anyway, uh, it was not a passenger ship. There were only eight passengers, and we were three of them. But as it got uh, light, I look out, and I see a man coming across the ship, hanging onto a rope in one hand and a little tray in the other one. That was our breakfast being delivered. Ah, I told Dick, I said, honey, 
please, let's pray. We're, we're, we, don't, we don't know where we are. We don't know where we're going. What have, what have we done? And he said, everything will be fine, honey. Everything's going to be fine. Well, uh, for all the fear, all the carry on and so on, at the end of the third day, uh, the, the man came to our door and said, the captain would like to invite you to come to breakfast. Just like he was saying that every day. <laughs> and I was so glad to hear breakfast mentioned. And so we got ourselves ready and went down and we met the other five uh, passengers, <clears throat> had a nice breakfast with our captain, who was a, a Dutch man, beautiful Dutch man. And uh, he, uh, we had all finished breakfast and then he turned to Dick, just as we were get, standing up, he said, and how was your journey so far? And Dick said, awful. We've been scared the whole time. And the captain was so sweet. He said, I wish I had known that you were afraid because I knew at no time were we in any danger. No danger after all that carry on during this, the ship going back and forth and the, the lightning and the thunder, no danger. And so Dick and I <clears throat> said, thank you very much. And we went back to our room and I told Dick, now that was something, wasn't it? What happened with all of that? And, and uh, Dick, I said, you know, there was something we had to learn from this. Maybe, maybe honey, we should keep in touch with the captain. Oh, what a revelation. What a beautiful revelation. Uh, keep in touch with the captain. He knows, he knows everything. Whenever we got in trouble, we said, keep in touch with the captain. I thought maybe hearing this story might, might make you wanna know, who's the captain? The captain is our Lord Jesus. And he's got the figures all in mind. He's got the plan all made. Please, may that be a lesson for each one of you. Keep in touch with our captain. He's got it all under control. The Lord is good. Thank you. Got an awesome encouragement. <clears throat> you may be going through something right now, and it feels like your life is absolutely spiraling out of control. If you know Jesus Christ, you're not in any danger. God's got you. He's got you in the palm of his hand, and nothing or no one can take you out of that. You can trust in God right now. That's a promise that God gives us. Here's another promise that he gives us, though. We can trust God for the future. We can trust him for the future. He, he references that in verse 10. He says, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. What's a victor's crown? Well, it's a reward for a life well lived. It's a reward for faithfulness and perseverance. I mean, we can't even imagine what it's going to be like one day to be rewarded by God. To stand before God and to be brought into his presence and to have God say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. You persevered. I'm proud of you. That, that's going to be crazy for us to experience. Notice what he says here in, in verse 11. He goes on, he says, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Now the second death is a reference to hell. 
And I think that for the Christians in Smyrna, there were probably no sweeter words than those. You will not be hurt by the second death. In other words, their current suffering and tribulation was tolerable because they knew for them the second death had died in the death of Christ. Does it seem weird? Does it seem strange that Jesus would draw our attention to hell as a way to comfort us? Well, in some ways, hell should absolutely trouble us, right? I mean, it's, it's a troubling concept to think that there are people in hell, that, that there are people that go to hell. But man, I'll tell you what, it is amazing how tolerable things can be when you view them in light of the second death. Because if you know Jesus this morning, then, then those words are true for you as well. The second death will not hurt you. This life is the only taste of hell that you'll ever experience. This is as bad as it's going to get for you. And this is why the cross is so important. The cross tells us that the ultimate suffering was taken care of by Jesus on our, our behalf. We'll never know it. We'll never experience it if we trust in him, if we turn from our sin. So Jesus is saying, not only can you trust me with your life right now, but you can trust me for what will happen in your future. Your future is secure with me. Something great is coming. You can't even begin to understand it fully. Now here's the third question that I want to ask. What is our trust in God rooted in through suffering? When we, when we trust in God, when we go through difficult times, what is that trust rooted in? And here's the answer. It's rooted in the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Look at verse 8 again. He says, the first and the last, the one who was dead and came to life. Our trust in God during our suffering is rooted in what we celebrated a couple of weeks ago on Easter. It's what Christians celebrate every single Sunday. The, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Remember that the Christians here in Smyrna were facing death. Right? Martyrdom was a very real possibility for them. And they needed to be reassured that physical death was ultimately not something to be feared because they served a God that conquered death. Friends, it's the same for, for you and me. We can trust in God in the midst of our suffering and pain and scars because the suffering that Jesus experienced did not ultimately get the final say. The resurrection shows us that Jesus is worth trusting in. Because if he conquered death, then that means that he can act and work on my behalf in whatever painful thing that I'm going through right now. And it means that whatever I have lost in this life that has scarred me up, it's all going to be given back to me one day when I'm with Jesus in heaven. So here's the big idea. This is what I want you to get. If you don't get anything else, remember this. The resurrection redeems my suffering and makes it purposeful. It can make me better and not bitter. Maybe your scars this morning are because you were let go from a job. Or maybe it's because you were rejected by somebody. Maybe your scars this morning are because of abuse that you experienced. Or maybe it's just because life has not turned out the way that you had hoped. I, I get it, man. Those, those events can be paralyzing, and sometimes they can make us bitter. Sometimes they can cause us to be disillusioned with God. But when you look at your suffering and your scars in light of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, your suffering can be purposeful. It can make you better and stronger instead of bitter. And when you choose to believe that, 
And you come to church, as you've done this morning, and, and you raise your hands in worship, you know what you're doing? You're showing your scars off to the enemy. And you're saying, look where you tried to defeat me. Look where you tried to kill my faith. Look where you tried to depress me. Look where you tried to tell me that I'm nothing. But there was this little event that changed the course of human history forever, including my own. It's the resurrection. And So the way for your suffering to make you better and not bitter is to trust in God. You have to choose to look at your pain. You have to choose to look at your afflictions from a heavenly perspective. Last week, Brad and Ruth Foreman were with us, the daughter and son-in-law of Mr. and Mrs. Corley. They are missionaries in Turkey, so they are uh, Christians that are living and ministering in the same exact area where the Christians at the church in Smyrna were living. And I thought it was so interesting that Brad said that uh, the city of Smyrna is the only city of the seven that we're written to that still has a Christian church and presence in it today. Isn't that interesting? That the, the church that suffered the most has lasted the longest. Right now you may feel like you are hanging on by a thread. Maybe tomorrow is, is just too much for you to even think about. I want you to know that Jesus has you. And what could happen if you continued to press in to the Lord and you continued to trust in Him? What could Jesus do through your suffering, through your afflictions, through your trials five years from now? Or ten years from now? What could He do in your life? How could He, how could he use you to help others who are going through the same thing that you're going through? Jesus calls us to trust in Him. And He has proven Himself time and time and time again, that he's worthy. Would you pray with me? Father, we are, uh, we are grateful and thankful, Lord, that you have not left us alone in our suffering. Father, we are so grateful and thankful that you are with us in the midst of our afflictions. God, where would we be without your presence? Father, for, for those that are here this morning that are going through a time of affliction, I pray right now that you would speak to them, that you would encourage them. Lord, I, I pray for the moms that are here this morning that, that, uh, that, are, that are suffering, that are going through uh, trials and, and heartache and difficulty, maybe with kids or maybe with, uh, maybe with just, just life. Lord, would you show them that you are worthy to be trusted? Father, I pray that you would show yourself to be faithful and to be true. Lord, you, you call yourself in Scripture the God of all comfort. And God, we're asking that you would live up to that name this morning for those that are being afflicted in some way. Father, I pray that when we are down, when we are tempted to despair, when we are discouraged, Lord, I pray that you would draw our attention to the fact that the tomb is empty, that you are alive that you can bring uh, beauty to the ashes in our lives. And that, Lord, makes all the difference to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close our time together by singing a song that has uh, been very, very meaningful and has meant a lot to Christians uh, over the years. Uh, it's a hymn. It is well. And if you know the backstory of that hymn, it was written uh, by a man who is go was going through incredible suffering and yet uh, depended on the Lord. So I'd invite you to stand and sing this with me together.